Welcome to Melanated Faith, a podcast exploring race, faith, and culture. We're your hosts, Faith and Catherine. My name is Faith. I'm a social worker, a writer, director of programs for Be The Bridge. I'm an avid traveler and a proud auntie. Hi, my name is Catherine, and I am a seminary student, lawyer, a sister, and a daughter. I love tacos, Jesus, and Beyonce. We started Melanated Faith because we wanted to create a place for us to discuss faith, race, and culture from a Black woman's perspective. We hope to foster community and conversation and have a lot of fun. Hey guys, today we're talking about Black creativity in the arts in 2019. What a time to be alive. Let's jump into it. Okay, I'm super excited to talk about this because I really believe that um, we have seen some amazing art this year. So Catherine, tell me, let's talk a little bit about why Black art is so important. Well, um, so I'm going to launch into this with a quote from the queen, sort of the epitome of Black art and culture, at least in this kind of modern era, um, Toni Morrison. Um, Toni Morrison says, certain kinds of trauma visit on peoples are so deep, so cruel, that unlike money, unlike vengeance, and even unlike justice or rights or the goodwill of others, only writers can translate such trauma and turn sorrow into meaning, sharpening the moral imagination. A writer's life and work are not just a gift to mankind, they are its necessity. Um, So first, rest in peace to Queen Toni. Um, And I think that what she's saying is specifically about writers, but I think it can apply to any kinds of black artists. I mean, Charles White and Jacob Lawrence and Gwendolyn Knight were painting scenes of American life that were not seen or understood until they painted them. Um, Obviously, Gordon Parks and Ava DuVernay, they use a camera. Um, All kinds of actresses and actors are telling really important stories of black life um, and translating them in a way that allows a wider audience to see and participate in things that are often not seen. Yeah, and I think what I love about it is the opportunities that are available right now for Black creatives specifically. I mean, when you look at all the different shows and things coming out amongst the myriad of networks that are available or Netflix or Hulu or wherever, um, it's really amazing to see. Like, I just feel like it's one of those things where it's like, wow, like what a time to be alive for real. Um, Ryan Coogler, I mean, he holds a special place in my heart. He's so brilliant. Like, he's so brilliant. Um, I really have to say that what he's created has just been so impactful over the years. And um, we've just been experiencing his goodness. I mean, Fruitville Station, gosh, like, I love that movie. I, I only saw it once. And, uh, <laughs> well, I, yes, I, I think that if you have not seen that movie, you absolutely need to see it. Um, I also have only seen it once. I think he is incredibly talented, but I will never see that movie again. It was so dramatic. <laughs> um, so luckily he's also given us Black Panther and Creed movies that can be watched over and over again. <laughs> yes, he has. He's given us some other goodness, some movies that were a little bit higher. You know what I'm saying? Like you you didn't have to feel down in the dumps. Um, so we appreciate you, Ryan, for that, for lifting us up. But Fruitville Station gave us some truth. So if you haven't heard of the movie, if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to go watch it um, and just take in the goodness of that. Ooh, okay, that's it. I can just say la. We can just pause. 
we can pause there. We gotta I keep do, going. Well, I do want to also say something that important that you brought up and like kind of why we t- titled the episode What a Time to Be Alive. I think one of the things I like love about this moment is there are so many people to choose from, like Issa Rae and Lena Waithe and Ryan. You've talked about Barry Jenkins, Ava DuVernay. I mean, there's so much quality black art there. Um, and I also want to talk about the importance of streaming, right? Like you mentioned Netflix and Hulu, like that have created these opportunities for people like Shonda Rhimes and et cetera that wouldn't exist if we were still stuck with like basic cable and the 40 channels that come on Time Warner or Spectrum or whatever you guys have in Atlanta, right? And so I think streaming has just opened up a like opportunities for African-American artists and creatives that would not exist, at least in my mind, without Netflix and Hulu and HBO Max yes. and Disney Plus and I don't know, we're on like 105 streaming services now. But I, know. I just I think about like that conversation when we talk about like, oh, I don't want to buy all these streaming services. I get I get it. I don't either, but I just think to celebrate how it's created opportunities that didn't exist before. Yes, it's amazing. I mean, and I think you're right. Like if this was like cable television, like truly would um these people have this opportunity probably not like just truthfully not all of the shows that we get to see and experience on netflix hbo like all this stuff so i'm definitely i'm i'm hyped because i feel like 2020 is going to be even more of this goodness and art that we've been seeing and experiencing yeah so faith let's talk about some things that were released in 2019 that you feel like spoke a deep truth about Black life, either in America or globally in the diaspora. Um, and yeah, that kind of piggyback on what Toni Morrison was saying in her quote about the importance of Black artists. Yeah, so Queen and Slim spoke to me on such a deep level. And I think, I mean, Lena Waithe outdid herself with this movie. I think just the the beauty and the brilliance of it. Um I like I I struggle for words to even just like capture like what I'm thinking because from the music to the um the outfits, the costumes, the clothes, like everything was like an ode to culture. And um it was so incredible to watch, like to watch it unfold, to see um, everyone's like their acting. It was phenomenal. I mean, like it was all so good, but the bigger picture, and I don't want to spoil it for you if you haven't seen it. So I'm trying to like talk about it and not spoil it. Um, The biggest picture I think that was painted in that movie was like the reality of black life and what you are going through and experiencing and just the fact that they knew they could not go back. Like we can't go back now. We have to just keep moving forward and try to live as long as, you know, we have, you know, um, that was like just this, I don't know. It was just this moment where I was like, that is so true. Like that is so true. And now I've confused a ton of people who haven't seen the movie before. That's fine. Um, I'm not going to share the rest, but it was just really powerful how it was painted. The picture was painted. So I'll give like a little synopsis for those who haven't seen it. I, I haven't seen it yet, um, but I will just so people know kind of the um, genesis of the idea. It's basically Lena Waithe dreamed up like what would happen if you met the love of your life on the worst day of your life? 
um, sort of thing where these this couple it's their first time meeting each other right like they're on a their first date yeah, first date and it goes horribly wrong um, there's an incident of police brutality and then what does that mean for their relationship and sort of this like larger conversation about um, how black people are treated by the police how black people perceive um, sort of communal aspects of, like, how black people perceive the police, but then also this really personal individual story of, like, falling in love, right? So I kind of, like, I'm excited to see it because I'm excited to see how she kind of draws all those things together. And it's also the first time Melina, I'm going to say this wrong, Melina Mastukas, um, who has been, like, a longtime collaborator for with Beyonce and Solange Knowles. Mm-hmm. It's her first deck to- directorial debut and so if i know anything about melina it's going to be beautiful so i'm really excited to see it yes she did a phenomenal job as well i mean it's just it's a beautiful it paints a really beautiful picture and i think it's something it speaks to a lot of what people feel in the black community a lot of the tensions that exist and um yeah, so that's all I'm going to say about it because otherwise I'll spoil it. So we'll have to have another episode where we can actually talk about it and like really dive in so that way I'm not spoiling details. Yeah, so my thing that I thought just was so amazing, and I've already kind of talked about her a little bit, Ava DuVernay's When They See Us. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix. Um, essentially, it is a, it's not a documentary. It is the kind of retelling of the story of, what we now say are the exonerated five. Um, At the time, they were known as the Central Park Five. Um, There was this case of a woman who was jogging through Central Park who was horrifically raped. Um, But these five boys, essentially, they were teenage, they were were children, um, were kind of picked out for reasons that Ava does a beautiful job of showing just a lot of the randomness of how they chose the five boys. Um, And they were convicted of this crime. They spent varying amounts of time in jail um, for the crime. And then, obviously, we know now that they have been exonerated. Um, I think that... um, And the piece, when it came out, like, was just, I think, massively sort of impactful. I think in... um, Ava is a master storyteller. Even the way she shoots things, like, I think the image of the young... um, Of who was, like, the youngest boy... Um, he was really into music. There's like an image that sticks in my mind of him sitting on a street in New York playing his um, trumpet because he really loved music. Um, And just the sort of in that moment, how she conveyed on screen sort of the social isolation of young African-American boys, um, you know, the sort of playing and making music and making noise in a world that's not made for you or created for you where people don't care about you. Um, And then just how she uh, portrayed um, criminal justice in America and how it often is, you know, biased against African-Americans, why these kids were picked out, um, how it destroyed their families. If you're someone who always talks about, like, the breakdown of the black family i this movie does she also does a really good job of showing how criminal justice and mass incarceration has destroyed the black family and so if that's something that you care about um she makes a very clear case that like criminal justice reform is one way of restoring black families um and then i think of just beyond just the beauty and the depth of the work of the series um jerelle jerome who plays Corey wise was won an emmy which was 
totally well-deserved. Um, so mm-hmm. beyond just the art of it, I think of, like, the social impact. Like, the woman who was the head of prosecuting the boys lost a bunch of a book contract and Ooh. prominent positions on boards and, like, now is facing consequences for her misdeeds. Um you know, what was 20, finally, which was 20 years ago. But I think just that that happened, that people watched this TV show um, on Netflix that this talented artist, these talented artists created, and that there was real-world implications, I think speaks to, again, why art is important and that art can be advocacy and it has a powerful message. And so I think when they see us, I mean, to me, black or white was my top work created in 2019. Yeah, yeah. It was an amazing film. And I think I love what you're talking about, about how she humanized them in every way. She made you experience and see that, hey, they were just kids. Yeah. Like, that's it. They were kids. And to see what this did to their life, like, it affected literally the rest of their life. And so... Um, she did an amazing job painting that picture. And also, she, what you're saying about the breakdown of the family, I mean, that is so real. I mean, financially, like everything that, that affects for the people um, on the outside trying to help you while you're on the inside. And so we have to continue, like back to our f- first point, like Black art is important because it's telling a story that some people don't want to be told. And because the story was masterfully told, like with research and detail and excellence, they were able to get justice, like even further justice, you know? And so I think, um, I think we have to continue to support black art and um, show up at the theater, do things like, you know, we have to really like push these things forward because these movies aren't cheap to make and we want people to keep making them yes. and thanks to Netflix for also releasing them for on the streaming platform for people. So that's great too. Okay. So here's a little bit of a turn here. So we've been talking about celebrating black art while we love black art, all of the above, but Catherine, I want to talk about, this is what I want to talk about. <laughs> Why do you think it is important for majority culture to engage in minority art? So I think that if you only engage art that looks and where all the actors, all the writers, all the photographers, all the artists look like you and have your same experience, your view of the world is so, so narrow, like so narrow. Um, And I think that's even important. I mean, we're talking specifically about black art, but like for African-Americans, like engaging other cultural cultures, art, um, art is a way to gain understanding. Um, But I also think you know, for majority culture, it reinforces white supremacy um, when your view of culture is just limited to European people of European ancestry. Um, And I say that because, you know, oftentimes when you ask other cultures, like name some prominent African-Americans, Latinos, whatever, um, they can't name anyone or they only can name, you know, Martin Luther King if that's who they can get out. And so this idea that like, so then you get this idea that like, oh, well, maybe black people aren't as smart as white people or, you know, like Shakespeare is this great literary um, figure and I'm an English major, so I've read Shakespeare and I'm not negating his place in the canon. But 
it's not Western art and culture is not the epitome of culture. And so I think that it reinforces this idea unconsciously. I mean, that, yeah, European heritage is best. We've created, look at all these things we've created. Look at all these things we can marvel at um, without engaging other cultures. And then I'll say beyond that, um, beyond, I think, helping you understand different experiences, you're just missing out on some really truly stunning and beautiful and great works of art like Toni Morrison and Maya Angelou and James Baldwin and Barry Jenkins, Ta-Nehisi Coates, Angela Fonroy. It, they're just flat out gifted. It's not about them being African-American or not. I mean, I would put them up against the greats, other contemporary, you know, artists and culture makers and say that they their work stands on its own. And so um, I think beyond that, you're just your view of the world is limited and then you're just missing out on some just really talented people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one writer that I really love and have come to love recently um, is Angie Thomas. Um, I read her first book and I really loved it, The Hate You Give. And that was also turned into a movie, y'all. So if you have not seen The Hate You Give, go watch it. See this? We're trying to help you. We are trying to help. So um, I would really encourage you all to see this. Um, it's such a, it's once again, like kind of like birthed out of just the things that have been going on right now and um, another novel kind of discussing this um, girl's journey as she is processing her um, best friend who got shot by the police and like her journey through that and it is so real and so vivid and with what we have been seeing and experiencing um, these past years, like via the media, like having the media to account for these things versus what we didn't have back then. Um, these works of art are really impactful. And I think it also helps to connect um, younger people to the struggle, to the historical aspects of what has been going on in America, um, because it's so easy to get disconnected if you aren't in a family or a household that's like actively like educating and teaching you. And so I feel like we have a more socially conscious um generation coming up behind us because it's like in their faces it's all over the place it's in the media like it's it's all over where students like especially students of color can see it recognize it and begin to advocate um because it's their story and they see it portrayed and I think that's um a really big deal and I think that's why it's so important to listen and learn from people who are different than you um and to put yourself in a position to just be like literally if you've not consumed art like and you've been like stuck in this like silo of like one type of art form you've got to get out of your comfort zone can i just say sorry i just want to say one thing so my family and i went to see a gordon parks exhibition at um, an art museum in fort worth and for those of you that don't know gordon parks is like one of the premier photographers of the last um, century. Um, He was the first African-American hired to be a full-time photographer for Life magazine. Um, He directed Shaft. He wrote several books about his life growing up in, like, segregated Kansas um, and his journey to photography. And, um, you know, Richard White called him part of a new tide, a rising generation of black artists um, who were using their art to kind of promote civil rights. Anyways, so my family, we go to this exhibit 
my mom was like, let's do a tour because, like, we know who Gordon Parks is. Like, that's obviously why we went to see the exhibit. Um, but we're like, maybe we'll learn something about him that we never knew before. Um, and so the woman who's giving the tour is this, like, nice-looking, middle-aged white woman. And literally the first thing out of her mouth was, I didn't know who Gordon Parks was until we got this exhibit. Ma'am how are you an art docent and you don't and then like literally like our crowd the crowd of people going to the tour (laughs) were kind of racially mixed literally at that moment i think the majority of black people lost interest (laughs) because then she takes us to like so gordon parks took portraits of like several famous african-americans um and so then she goes and so part of the exhibit is they have some of the photos of these famous african-americans that they've taken and she doesn't know who the people are. Like, she's like, oh, um, this is Marianne Anderson. And she's like looking at her notes, like, and this, and she's famous for these reasons. And it just was like, you know, I think I'm at a point where like, I don't get super upset. I mean, honestly, it was kind of comical because it's like this, (laughs) you're just proving the point. And like, I'm like, oh, when we decided we were going to do an episode on this, I'm like, this is the thing, right? Like you, but the, the crazy thing about it, Faith, what really got me is that if the shoe were on the other foot, and it was some oh. famous white photographer mm-hmm. or Picasso in a black museum docent said, I didn't know who Pablo Picasso was before <laughs> we got this exhibit. <laughs> they wouldn't have a job. Like, people would laugh. Like, people would think that's ridiculous so because, true. like, he's this great person in the canon. And it just <laughs> is this idea that, like... You know, another thing I think that's important part of this conversation is, like, we're expected to know all of your people. Like, Mm. I could not have gotten an English degree if I didn't know who Shakespeare or Chaucer or, you know, Faulkner or, like, Henry James or just whoever who... I love Henry James. That's not the point. But, like, the point is, like, it is possible to get an English degree and never read Toni Morrison or Maya Angelou. And then it's, like... And still get positions of power and authority and then admit... (laughs) As a paid art historian person, you don't know one of the premier photographers in American history. Like, I mean, Gordon Parks, self-taught. I encourage you to check him out. I mean, his photography is, I mean, just what he could do with the lens is just insane how he captured American life. And he didn't just take photographs of African-Americans and black life, although he did do that. and He was phenomenal. Um, So I, I encourage you to check him out. He's incredibly talented um but i just when we talk about the importance of majority culture engaging in minority art i mean just think about like i mean to me that's just crazy like we're expected to know all of your people you know every emma stone so true movie meryl streep but you don't know anything that viola davis and so what does that say about <laughs> the like somehow your work has more validity or is more of a true telling of american life like Speaking or is just like more like valid to be known. Yeah, is more praiseworthy, which is not the case because for a long period of time, like we're not even being judged on equal footing, right? Like, or we didn't have the same access. And so, I mean, to me, Sojourner Truth's work should count double anything that like (laughs) you know a someone else presented at that same time, considering that African Americans. It was illegal to teach them to read and write. And so here's this black woman writing poetry and, you know, cultural critiques and all the things that she wrote. Um, So she's working twice as hard. And then for, like, you know, 
whatever famous writer or English department to be like, eh, you know, we don't need to talk about Sojourner Truth for our students to be educated in American history or English or culture or whatever. Like, I mean, that, you know, it's a little, it's disrespectful. <laughs> it is disrespectful. It is disrespectful. And I think, like, there's just so much you learn. Like, last um, last November, I went to a Charles White exhibit in New York um, at the MoMA, and it was just so beautiful. I could have stayed in there for hours. I mean, it was just so much to take in. The exhibit was, like, very extensive, and so um, you couldn't, like, rush through it. We did, unfortunately, have to rush more than I wanted, but I think we were probably in there, like, two hours, and I still was like, wow, like, this is so beautiful, and, like, I've been taking time to learn more about social justice and civil rights from the arts perspective, which is why I love going to the art museum, and I just wish more people... um, did that and found ways to explore that because it's so healthy also side note this has like nothing to fully do with what we've been talking about but kind of um so I wanted to tell you all a really quick story about how I met Ava DeVernay and I lost my ever-living mind um so it started off when Catherine and I were in Montgomery for the EJI, um, basically the launching of like the memorial and the legacy museum. And so it was this whole weekend shindig. We were there. I tweeted something, I don't know. And um, Ava DeVernay retweeted it and I lost it. I was so excited. I was like, oh my gosh, she retweeted me. And so <laughs> I was, I have to find the video. It lives in the archives somewhere on Instagram. Um, but then we went to the memorial. And so if you guys haven't been out to the memorial, it's just like really beautiful. It's like grass and, you know, you have like the, um, I don't know how, what they call them, but you have like the fixtures that are standing there and it kind of like lists the names of people who have been lynched so people can like read and also pay honor to those people. Anyway, so there's a long little pathway and I saw Ava walking in the distance and I thought to myself, this is like my moment to meet her. And I was like, she's probably gonna think I'm crazy, but I was like, but what if I like let this pass me up? Like, and then I feel bad about it. So I, <laughs> so I walked up to her really kindly and I just said, hey, like you retweeted me and it was just so nice. And I was just like, oh my God. And I kind of was like blumbering and like stumbling over myself because I really never do this. Okay. Um, I like rarely ever get starstruck, but I was just like, oh my God. So she was so kind though. She like, you know, gave me a back and was just like, thank you so much. You're so sweet. I really wanted a picture, but she was like, I don't want to take a picture because we're at the memorial and it's like, this is sacred ground. And then I felt like, gosh, why did I ask for a picture? Of course, like this is like a freaking lynching memorial. Anyways, (laughs) it was like the funniest thing, but it just a really cool experience because she was a genuinely like kind human. And I love when you meet people who 
live their life in the public eye, but they're like still super nice. So she was great. And I'll just say in your defense, I mean, you were respectful when she was like, I don't want to take a picture, but like people, I don't know if you saw like, but I, when I noticed her, I saw all these people like running to take pictures of her. Cause we also saw common. I don't know if you saw common, but when we were standing, like, I think they were kind of together. Um, like a group had come to get like a private tour. So there were a couple of celebrities, but all of a sudden, like, when you go to this memorial, people are very silent. Like, it's not like um, like when you go to a museum and people are chattering and talking about art. Like, it's very silent. And so, all of a sudden, there's, like, just this huge <laughs> frenzy. Yeah. <laughs> so, I will say in face defense, one, she was respectful. And two, she didn't totally, like, I mean, people were, like, running to try to get pictures oh, yeah. of, like, yeah, Common yeah. and Ava. And so, yeah. it was, she was genuinely a very nice person. And I will say, Ava, I mean, I will say faith that you were you know it was tactful it could have been like a whole other thing yeah I was excited like I gave you guys a lot of my internal excitement but really on the outside I was super calm and like just went up to her very nicely and I asked about a picture because you can't assume somebody wants to take a picture and you can't just take your phone out to start taking pictures with people. That's a, just a side note, just so y'all know. Don't do that in real life. Yes. Okay? Um, Celebrity but, etiquette 101. Do not, they are people too. Do not just take yes. pictures of them like they're animals in a zoo. <laughs> right. So please don't do that. So we're going to dive into talking about <laughs> something that I, I just, I laugh a little because it's just, it's so much. Um, but we, I want to talk about the importance of Black creatives and culture and um, how they're supported in the church. Like, how are Black creatives supported by Christian audiences? What does that look like? What do we see or not see? Um, Catherine, what do your first take? Yeah, so I think when we're talking about um, Black creatives, especially in Christianity, I think to me there's just even just like a difference, I think, in sort of wider culture. And it's a little... I think it's sad to me because I look at, um, you know, Christian um, publishing and books and, like, that there is an underrepresentation of African Americans. I mean, particularly in Christian publishing. I think I, like, went through um, just, like, the major, like, um, books that had been written this last year. And there's just such a small sampling are given to, when you talk about authors of color and then you go to black people, and then you go to black um, women. Um, So authorship, too, but then even, too, just, like, editors, and, like, that that's really important. Like, Ava DuVernay, like, by producing and directing, creates jobs and opportunities for so many other people of color, or, like, even Tyler Perry, and so, like, yeah, there's a paucity in um, in writers, but then even when you move up into the upper echelons of who's creating opportunities um, for, you know, black people, it's just there's no there's not really a lot of people there. And then, you know, and I think there are probably a lot of reasons behind that. And I think um, but I do think that it's important that we talk about for the reasons that we've stated, like why it's important and sort of the broader culture to engage with art um, that's been created by African-Americans and why it's important for African-Americans to create art. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would love to see um, Christian art spaces even reflect, like, you know, 
even a tiny percentage of what we see kind of in the broader culture. Um, But then I think beyond that, like, if we are the people of God and that we believe, you know, the fullness of who God is couldn't be displayed in one race and one gender, then why is it in Christian art spaces it's primarily one race and one gender? Um, Mm. And so, I mean, I would just say, like, um, yeah, and I think, you know, it can't just be people of color saying, like, where are all the people of color? Like, right. you know, for this is very crass, but it is a business. And so, you know, if the idea is that the people who buy Christian books or watch Christian movies or listen to Christian music don't want to hear from these voices, then, you know, there's la- there's less of an incentive to provide that um, art. But I would say, and I would call on producers and directors in Christian spaces um, to be a little bit like Steve Jobs, um, because... One thing I love about Steve Jobs is, like, all of us have iPhones now. When he created the iPhone, nobody wanted an iPhone. Like, nobody was looking for a phone that did, that did all the things that an iPhone did. He just was a visionary and, like, created it, and now there's this mass market for that. And so I would say um, part of it would be to, like, producers and directors and people and decision-making authority. Like, it can't totally be just a market-based decision and, like, this is what people want. Yeah. Like, we need some um, advocates that are visionaries and are willing to create in spite of the demand because of what scripture says about the fullness of humanity and wanting to reflect the fullness of who God is. Yeah, 100%. The other thing that like I've also noticed is because there is a lack of diversity in like the editing publishing space, like how that looks for us as black writers is like very different because the work that people are interested in or like find intriguing or appealing, it looks different. Like you're going to, of course, like give a book deal to somebody who is speaking a language you're really familiar with or is sharing things about life and culture that you can relate to. And so there's so many amazing um, people of color out there that are Christians that are creating art. And many of them are honestly like, going outside of the traditional Christian bubble or Christian publishing bubble to other publishing houses that are getting the message that we do need to have more diverse voices and they're starting to get published there, which yeah, that's a whole other thing, but no, I mean, I think yeah. you're making a great point. I mean, Lecrae is like a perfect example, right? Like his last album 2018 was like his major record label debut. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and I think he had freedom to say on that album some things he might not have been able to say if he was solely dependent on sort of Christian music. Christian dollars. Yeah, Christian, Christian dollars. People's yeah. ability to see. Yeah. Like, and, he, um, and his majority of his audience used to be white people. Yeah, and I just think that, like, we really should try to sit in with what that what that means when we're losing sort of the best and people, God has called people to all kinds of places and things. And some people are called to ministry outside the church. And so I don't want to sort of denigrate people being called to like larger audiences and larger platforms. Like go, absolutely go and serve and create for whoever God has called you to create and do for. But I also think about like, what does that speak for us that we're losing? Yeah, like critical voices feel like they can't speak to Christian audiences or won't be accepted um, because what they're offering or saying is different, one. And then two, I would say also to like, I think just the nature of being an African-American in this country is like you definitely have something to say about race. But I would also say that there are black creatives that have things to say about things other than race. 
in black life. And it's not the only thing we have to talk about. Yeah, like, we can talk about other... And, and so I think also, too, being careful not to pigeonhole artists um, into only creating stories about, you know, those things. And so that's all I would say to that. But I do think I would love to see Christian spaces be as diverse and full as sort of the global Christianity. I mean... I'm sure most people who, well, maybe I want to assume most people know this, but the face of, if you're looking globally, the Christian, the, the, a Christian is most likely to be a woman, person of color located in the global South. Bridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to empowering people and culture towards racial healing, equity, and reconciliation. Be the Bridge just released the Transracial Adoption Guide, Foundational Principles for Healthy Cross-Race Parenting. Be the Bridge created this guide to take a deeper look at the world of transracial adoption. This guide is for you, whether you're an adoptive parent, a prospective adoptive parent, adoption professional, or simply somebody who cares about the well-being of a child who has been transracially adopted. We believe this will be proved to be a valuable resource for you and your family, friends, and anyone you know that is transracially adopted. Go to our website, www.bethebridge.com forward slash shop to get your guide today. All right, y'all, we have a new segment. It is called Go Off Sis. You can expect this every single episode. Here's what it is. Um, This is a point in our show where we go off, we tell you about things, people, or places that we're loving, also things that are a mess. So I'm going to go ahead and kick us off. First of all, I just saw Just Moosey. Michael B. Jordan is starring in it. He is so beautiful just a beautiful creation of God. But anyway, besides the point, he is also a phenomenal actor. And I love to read a good book. And Brian Stevenson's book, Just Mercy, hooked me from the beginning. When I read it, I like I literally was captivated. I read it so quick. And I was so excited for the movie to come out because I always love to see how people are able to translate what happened in a book to screen. And they did a phenomenal job. Guys, this movie is so important. I cannot stress it to you enough. The conversations that we need to have about abolishing the death penalty, making improvements to our justice system. Everything that they talked about in the movie was just so phenomenal, but also heartbreaking because we are still dealing with a lot of the same things there was no like icing on the cake like oh this is so happy ending we've seen so much change in our justice system and so this was in the past like this was like our present still and so it was heavy and there was moments of sadness and moments of just like tears because you just you you empathize the situation you hurt with the people who are hurting and the fact that this is based on a true story it's just so telling that we have a responsibility to fight for justice we have a responsibility to pay attention to the elected officials 
The fact that the sheriff in this case just retired in 2019 and he was a corrupt sheriff is really telling. The fact that people kept um, him in his position after he was corrupt. And there's no telling how many innocent people are um, or were, you know, in jail or falsely accused of crimes under his leadership. And so I'm telling you all the the movie. Oh, my goodness. So aside from Michael B. Jordan being just a gift from God above and being so fun, um, the movie was just so, so good. And I felt like represented Brian Stevenson's heart like to a T. Brian Stevenson is amazing. And so I could rave about this movie on and on and on because it's just um it's just so great but I just want to tell you go see it like you're not gonna regret seeing this movie and you're gonna be so happy that you did you're gonna be so happy that you took the time to see it also I want to encourage you to read the book like the book is super powerful and it's compelling and I just really feel like more people should dive into the work of Brian Stevenson and the Equal Justice Initiative, which is just grown into such a phenomenal and large organization. So you should definitely check it out. I am going to leave you all with a quote from Brian Stevenson and they said it in the movie and that is, hopelessness is the enemy of justice. So I hope that as we are leaning into these conversations and this work, that we remember that to keep hope alive. So y'all, go see the movie, okay? Go see the movie. My thing that I want to talk about really quickly that is a mess is on Twitter right now, there is a hashtag trending. Hashtag, it's okay to be white. Let me just talk about why this is so problematic, people. Um, First of all, it's basically white people on there saying, like, feeling like basically the, the, I can't even talk about it. I'm so disturbed. The essence of it is that if I, as a white person, like I'm being attacked or like people are against me because I'm white and it's okay for me to be white, like people are being racist against me too. And white people are under attack right now in society. And it's this whole bemoaning of like, oh, everyone's against us kind of a thing in these Twitter feeds and then like you have the memes going it's just too much it really is literally too much so here's my thing okay white people we want equality okay and that has nothing to do with it not being okay with you being white that's it people just want equality um and that's unfortunately being turned into a trending hashtag where people are feeling like they're under attack. Nobody is attacking. Um, All of these years, people um, of color have just wanted to live equally, have equal pay, equal access, um, access to wealth, um, not have all these gaps. And um, really, we just want to be able to live a happy and successful life free of domestic terrorism and um, lynching, all of the things the of the above so um we're we're not coming for you we really want to come for the system that keeps entrapping us okay <laughs> the cycle going um 
So that is my thing where I'm just going to say it's a mess right now. And we need Jesus to fix it. Fix it, Jesus. Fix it. Um, yes, I totally agree about Just Mercy. I love the movie. It was beautiful. I teared up within the first couple of minutes. Um, Brian Stevenson is an angel and must be protected at all costs. Um, and I'll just take a moment to plug. I wrote a piece for the online publication Think Christian about what Christians can learn from Just Mercy. So please feel free to go check that out. So my Fix It Jesus is going to go um, to the Grammys and also the new novel um, American Dirt. Um, I think that there's some overlap um, in sort of the issues I'm going to talk about related to both of those things. So I liked Billie Eilish's um, album that she released last year, but I thought it was kind of interesting that she won, I think, total five Grammys, but she swept the big four categories. And the thing that I found kind of frustrating about that is there has been a historic issue with the Grammys and the recognition of African-American um, music genres, whether R&B or rap, when that genre is performed by a black person. And um, Tyler, the creator who won um best rap album even though if you've heard that album you would be shocked that it was in a rap category because it was mainly like soul and r&b and funk and not a lot of rap but he kind of talked about in his speech about how you know he's urban and that's just another way of saying black as opposed to like post malone who makes the same kind of music but gets to compete in like the pop categories and so one of the things um that's like interesting about Billie Eilish um I think her and her, her brother are very talented so this is not a knock on their talent but it has been pointed out by numerous music critics that she kind of adopts an African-American vernacular style so then once again um because she's young and white and she can um profit from a style of music or syncopation style that is um, was created or originated by African-Americans. Um, and similarly with the book American Dirt, um, the author of that book is a white woman. Her grandmother is Puerto Rican, but I think um, as recently as 2016, she pretty much um, claimed or identified primarily as a white woman. Um, the book was is supposed to be the, the it book of 2020, um, it is basically the story of a, f of a, a mother and a son who have to flee um, cartel violence and to come to America. So she's basically telling the story of, of migrants. Um, and you can tell kind of in her interviews, and I will say this, let me just say this. I think the fix it Jesus for me is having not read the book, but it really is to me rooted in her interviews and seeing how she's responded to like the valid critiques um, about her writing from Latina Latino and other um, authors of color. Um, I saw this interview where they were asking her questions about the critiques and she basically agreed that there's a problem in publishing where Latin there are not enough Latino voices and Latinos don't get to tell their own stories, um, which is one of the critiques lobbed at her that like she's profiting off of um, brown um, pain. But her response was, well, that's not my fault. And I just think that that's such a cop out. Um, if you're going to write the book um, because you're, quote unquote, trying to humanize people that are already humans and don't need you to write about them to um, show their humanity, um, you can't also then also say, on the other hand, that the pro 
it's not your problem. You don't have to do anything. Um, and then also too, she got like a seven figure advance. And I think to me, just the fact that she hasn't done the bare minimum of announcing like, Hey, 10% of this money I'm, I'm plowing back into, um, a migrants rights organization or, you know, someone doing humanitarian aid on the border. Just really, I think, sort of gives credence among other things that this really is like a money grab for her and not so much about like a genuine care about um, immigrants and any immigrant stories. Um, And I think it also just goes back to kind of what we've been talking about this whole episode is just like the importance of like elevating um, the voices of people of color. So there are great books written by um, immigrants about their immigrant experience in um, that are that don't receive the backing and institutional support, and so it would be great if you know we could go all out and support those authors. And I'll post a couple of different lists that I saw um, in response to this controversy. Um, and then my um, praiseworthy thing for this week is I'm going to do a couple. I'm going to do three. Um, I want to just say my condolences to. Um, Kobe Bryant and his family and um, his wife Vanessa and his three surviving daughters um, in the tragic loss um, this weekend and then all of the families that lost loved ones I mean there's a there's a family now that basically two kids lost their parents and their little sister and just the 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 tragedy of that situation um you know take a moment to like watch kobe bryant interviews and hear him talk about his daughter gianna and Gigi and her love of basketball and it's just really beautiful as someone who's um loves my dad and is totally um a daddy's girl um that he just had such an impact on um the game and then just kind of like the broader culture and then also too just like seeing a lot of black men um respond and cry openly and share their emotions and tell their friends they love them and things that they typically feel like they can't do um that this has created space for that so i think um i just want to honor him for everything that he gave us on the court and off um i also want to just ask for shout out um john lewis and he announced recently that he's suffering from stage four pancreatic cancer um john lewis has been a leader in the civil rights movement since he was a teenager um some of the battles he's been fighting his pretty much his whole life he's 80 years old now um and just horrific experienced the worst of the worst had was thrown in jail was beaten um and i think some of the stories and fights he's fighting you know going on 60, 70 plus years now. Um, but the thing that I love about John Lewis and the couple, I've had a chance to meet him twice. Once was just a book signing, but like I got to ask him a question once at um, an event. Um, and he just talked about how he was still hopeful and that the importance of maintaining hope. And I think it goes to that quote that you shared from Brian Stevenson and just mercy about hope being um, hopelessness being the enemy of justice. And like, for those of us that are, care about justice um that hope is so important and i feel like if john lewis is hopeful if he can still say that the arc of the moral universe is long but it bends towards justice we have no excuse and then lastly um earlier this month i had the privilege of attending the funeral for my childhood pastor's wife dr lewis evans and i just wanted to say what a joy it was to grow up in that church for a whole host of reasons um but she just was such a lovely woman and a wonderful first lady um was just the most elegant 
black woman I've ever met in my life. So stylish and beautiful and graceful and just what she poured into the women of this, that church of our church. Um, even as she like loved her husband and supported him and God's calling in his life, um, what she poured into her children. I think that was the most beautiful part. One of the more beautiful parts of her homegoing service um, was just listening to the four of them talk about how intentional she had been and like the legacy that she had poured into them was just really beautiful. And then it was really beautiful to hear her brothers talk about everything they're saying they got from her. She got from our parents and just the importance of that legacy of faith. And so just want to say publicly, I want to honor her um, and her life and the legacy she left for us as a church and for the young woman of the church. And just say, I'm praying for her and the Evans family as they continue to grieve her loss. guys thank you so much for joining us for this episode we're going to wrap it up um we're going to talk a little bit about things we want to encourage you to see a check out from 2019 that you might have missed and then we want to talk about what we're looking forward to in 2020 so faith kick us off and tell us what you're most looking forward to okay most looking forward to insecure is coming back insecure is coming back y'all i'm so <laughs> excited i I love this show. I love Insecure. And so I'm super pumped that it's coming back. Um, 2019. I mean, I'm just going to say 2019. Lizzo graced us with her positivity, her anthem. Snaps for Lizzo. celebration. I mean, she gave us the all the love and beauty of being a woman, being a curvy woman, like just the excellence. I mean, I am here for it. That lifted my spirits up in 2019. Thank you, God, for Lizzo. Yes, thank you for Lizzo and for the many bops that she blessed us with in 2019. Um, Okay, so my 2019 praise, I don't think this should surprise anyone, but I mean, this is legitimate not just because I'm a stan. Um, Beyonce's, <laughs> Beyonce's Homecoming <laughs> on Netflix. Faith is laughing at me. Not beca- This is not because I'm a stan. Objectively. Beyonce's Homecoming on Netflix. So this it was released this year, but it's from her 2018 Coachella performance. And the documentary, if you haven't seen it, please make time to see it. I think... What I love about it is it's really about Beyonce. The theme of her Coachella performance was Black Homecoming. So HBCU Homecoming is like a huge deal. There's usually like they celebrity performers, Battle of the Bands, Black sororities and fraternities, like strolling and parties. And it's really a very celebratory event in, in Black cultural life. And even if you didn't go to an HBCU and you were a Black person, the likelihood that you've had some experience with sort of Black Homecoming So it's kind of like familiar in that way. But I think what I really love about that is she took this very specific experience and she kind of translated it and talked about her own homecoming. If you didn't know, um, she was actually supposed to perform in Coachella in 2017, got pregnant with twins. So she had a schedule reschedule for 2018. Um, And so the documentary is also about her return to the stage and just how her life has changed since becoming a mother of three. And what does it look like to work with excellence at something you love, but also be a wife and a mother, and how do you balance all those things? And it's filled with so many gems of just wisdom. One that, like, I love and will stick with me is she talks about how people don't like to practice because they don't like to look stupid. And I just think mm. 
and I mean, this all points to, I think, why she's great, because she shows us practicing and that when she started that performance, started learning the choreography, she was terrible. She couldn't maintain her breath to that to sing and dance at the same time, because obviously she's recovering from birthing twins. But I just for people, especially when we're talking about black creatives and black creativity, homecoming you know, just the diversities of bodies and music and celebration that she brought to this huge audience when she could have done just like a regular Beyonce show. There's no such thing as a regular Beyonce show, but she could have done, (laughs) she could have done, you know, something very much more Beyonce centric. Instead, she chose to bring the culture to this larger stage. But then also too, just as a reminder to all those people making art and, and creativity and whatever film who feel ignored or don't see people that look like them, just an inspiring message to like keep going and that, you know, the first time you do something shouldn't be the best time you do it. So I like love that. Um, and then I want to praise um, my favorite book that I read this year by Candace Carty Williams, who's actually um, British Jamaican. I don't know. Did they say? I don't know. I don't know what the equivalent of. She is British citizen, but of Jamaican um, ancestry wrote a book called Queenie um, about a young black woman in England who was just finding herself and recovering from a really traumatic breakup experience is trying to find her career footing but also um, comes and then what is it like what does mental health and self-care look like um, for our generation versus how it looked for her family and it's really funny and sweet and just a really great um, a story. And so I want to shout out to Candace and Queenie. And then in terms of what I'm looking forward to in 2020, I'm going to go with the photograph with Issa Rae and Lakeith Stanfield. And I think the thing that makes me most excited mm-hmm. about the movie is it's a love story, um, a romance. So black um, love story romance with two black romantic leads. And while I love movies like Fruitvale Station and I love The Watchmen, um, sometimes I just want to some positive black stories where people, <laughs> where black people like meet and fall in love and they're happy and they have yes. children and like yes. just regular, like I just, sometimes I just want something positive. And so, I mean, I'm offered some black love inspiration. Let's just be So, real. you know, if you haven't seen the preview, like, please check it out. It's gonna, I'm looking so forward to getting my girlfriends and going to see that on Valentine's day. So um yeah so i hope that you enjoyed this episode on black creatives in the arts in 2019 um we hope that you will join us follow us on social media at melanated faith let us know on instagram what your favorite piece of art created by an african-american was this year and we'll include our recommendations all the shows and books and artists that we talked about in the show notes and we'll see you next time Thank y'all for joining us. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, um, especially if you are on Apple Podcasts. We want you to subscribe. We want you to leave a review. Um, that helps others to be able to find our podcast. So do that for us, and we will love you forever. Have a great day. Bye.